Hi friends, welcome to Crimer. Happy New Year. Did it, 2023. Do you know, I don't know if you guys were, were alive in the year 2000, like there was all that stuff about how it was going to be the end of the world. Wrong. 23 years wrong so far. And we're going to go into 2024. And just as we go on that journey from one year to the next, I want to ask us the question this morning, which is, who is narrating your 2024? Who is the voiceover of your life for 2024? I don't know if you guys have ever seen that film, The Truman Show. Don't know if you know, if, anyone seen that film? Okay, so hopefully this will make some sort of sense. Um, if you haven't seen it, it's Jim Carrey, and he plays this guy called Truman, and basically his life is him surrounded by hundreds of actors who all know that essentially the world that they are creating through their acting is completely false. Um, but he has no idea. That's the story. And there's a narrator, there's someone who dictates his life, who narrates his life until this girl comes along and rescues him and he finds his way out of the fake life into the real life. And as I was thinking about just what I was going to speak today, I really felt the Lord say, hey, who is it that's narrating your life? Are you living reality or are you living fake? And is there something in your life that you're giving power to narrate your life that you need to lay down and pick up the narration of the King of Kings, Jesus Christ? We're going to look at some stories about some people's lives who got changed because they changed the, the person who narrated their life. But I want to say real quick, you're going to be invited in 2024 to a whole bunch of stories that want to narrate your life for you. You're going to be invited into political conversations. You're going to be invited into different conversations around social media and science and all of those things. And they're all important. But I need to tell you something. There is one story that should define your life. Those things define your activity and maybe how you think. But there's one thing that should define your life and his name is Jesus Christ. Do you know, one of the, amen, thanks for the clap. Um, one of the things that's really important to know is that you're not how you feel. You're not how you think. Matthew 4, 4 says, man shall not live by, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And you're gonna be invited to take some juicy bites of a bread that's meant to define your life in this year. But Jesus says this, I am the, not me, sorry, I'm pretending, like, I am the bread of life. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And my question to you is, how much of Jesus are you eating and how much of the normal stuff are you eating? And what is it that's defining you? What is it that Are you ready 
to allow the Lord to dictate your steps and direct your path this year. Listen, we're probably in three camps this year. Some of us are like, 2023 was a write-off. Let's kill it and let's do something brand new, 2024. Some of us are like, 2023 was grand, but I need to take this little shift. It's like you've reached a fork in the road. You've got to go right or you've got to go left. And you've got to choose a direction for the next stage of your journey. And some of us, you're just on this like parallel road that's keeping on going. 2024 is building on 2023. And you're probably in one of, one of those three camps. The question still remains, whether you're changing completely, changing direction or carrying on the same, who is going to narrate your story this year? And we're going to look at the Bible in just a minute, look at some really famous stories about how people changed the way that they heard themselves or knew themselves and allowed God or Jesus rather in this section to dictate and to narrate their life. But friends, I've got to tell you something. Anxiety is going to die this year for some of you. Addiction is going to die this year for some of you. Depression is going to die this year. And the life of Jesus Christ will invade your life to define it, not in the way that it has been before, but so that it can bring you to your destiny days and glorious nature of who he is in your life. Hey, listen. When we think about 2024, and the new year, we are thinking about how he is going to define it. Now listen, often what happens is, is that we mistake not having our identity rooted in something, meaning that we don't have to experience it. That's not true. In Numbers 21, it's really interesting when the snakes come in to bite the Israelites in the desert, they go to Moses and say, take this away from us. So God, Moses goes to God and says, hey, they want the snakes gone. And God says, the snakes are staying, but I will raise healing in their midst. And so Moses builds a bronze snake on a staff. And instead of the snakes leaving, God provides healing when the Israelites look at the snake that is lifted on the pole. Why is that important? Because actually your healing is not out of circumstance, it's through circumstance. It just means that your circumstance no longer defines your identity. So what happens is, is that instead of focusing on the snakes and the things that hurt, you begin to focus on the healing. And instead of this defining your life, the poison and the pain, healing begins to define your life. It doesn't mean the snakes go, it just means the healings come. 2024 is not a guarantee from the Lord that you won't experience pain, but it is a guarantee from the Lord that if you let him narrate your life, you will overcome anything that comes at you. Will you let that narrative define your life for the next year and beyond? When I was at school, listen, I've got to tell you something. When I was at school, I'm pretty sure half the stuff that happened there was illegal now, you know? Like, you know, when you, I went to an all-boys school uh, in South End-on-Sea, I'm like 30, oh gosh, 37 now. And 
forgot momentarily. And I, I'm pretty sure people in schools now, like they don't have their PE teachers watch them to make sure they clean the mud off them when they're showering. You know, that's what, that was my experience. Crazy. I had, a, I had a, one guy, he accidentally, no, to be fair, it was deliberate. He kicked a football as hard as he could at one of our PE teachers, hit him in the head. So our PE teacher kicked him as hard as he could on the bum. And then the kid apologised. You wouldn't find that today, right? Crazy. Anyway, when I was at school, it was this really interesting story of my life where my PE teacher said to me, Mr. Casey said to me, you know what, Churchy, I was called by my surname, you know what, Churchy, there's one kid every year who asks stupid questions and it's your turn this year. <laughs> and so my life, especially in PE lessons, was kind of like determined by this conversation I had with the PE teacher. And instead of like stopping asking questions, which is what most people I think will probably do, I just played up to it. I carried on in this role of asking stupid questions. And the whole year was defined by me putting my hand up and asking a dumb question. And what's interesting is, is that for us in our lives, you're invited into a role. You're invited to have a title given to you, the king of stupid questions. And it, but you do have a choice whether you play into that or you walk away from it. No one can make you do or feel anything you have power over your own life to decide what titles you receive and what you don't. And there's something powerful about 2024 where you're going to lay down some titles this year. You're going to say, I don't want that in my life now. I don't want to be addicted to this thing anymore. I don't want to be like the one that goes out and gets drunk with my mates. I don't want to have this title or this title. I want the title of son. Did you know the great equality of Christianity is this? Once I was dead, but now I'm alive. The question is, are you going to live in life this year? Are you going to lay down the title of death and pick up life? Because that's what he wants for you. In the Gospel of Luke, there's this really famous story about the prodigal son. You guys, if you haven't heard this story, let me explain it to you real quick. We're not going to go into it. Um, in terms of reading it, we're going to read Zacchaeus instead, and we'll stand in just a minute. The prodigal son has a dad who's wealthy, and he says, hey, dad, listen, I'm young, I've got all my years ahead of me. Give me my inheritance now, and I will go spend it. I will take it, and I will have the time of my life. So he goes off, and he does all these parties and wild living, the Bible says, but runs out of money, and in the end, ends up working for a pig farmer, and then ends up eating out of the pig trough with the pigs. Hey, friends, I've got to tell you something. Some of us have got to stop eating out of pig troughs. Why? Because his identity didn't change because of his actions. His identity was on the basis of who his dad was, not what he did. What happened next? The prodigal son says to himself, do you know what? If I go back to my dad, he might have mercy on me and he might let me be a servant in the household. Let me do that so at least I haven't got to eat pig food. And so he goes back to his father, and before anyone can get to him, his dad runs as fast as he can to meet him. He puts a ring on his finger, a robe on his back, and sandals on his feet. All those are significant. You can look up why if you want to. I haven't got time to go into it. And he restores him to the position of son, not servant. Hey, friends, the son, sometimes we, as children of God, feel unworthy to accept 
the true nature of our adoption. And instead, we want to become a servant because we feel unworthy to be a son. But I'm telling you, adoption never ends. You are a son and a daughter first before you're ever a servant. You will find places to serve in the kingdom. You will, and you'll be a servant to him. But your number one identity is this, son and daughter of the high king of heaven. And for some of us this year, we're actually going to minimise the unworthiness in our life and re-establish ourselves with the Father, ring on finger, robe on back and sandals on our feet and understand that we are a son and a daughter with an inheritance of heaven that nothing can take away from us, no matter what you've done. Hey friends, I've got to tell you something. When you say yes to Jesus narrating your life, Nothing, everyone say nothing, can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. Why? Because your life is not the sum total of your activity. Your life is the sum total of the free gift of grace of Jesus Christ dying on the cross in order that you could be saved and become one with the Lord. That's your identity. Don't let anything else dictate it. And then we come to Luke 19 and we're gonna read this together. So if you turn in your Bibles or you flick there on your phone or whatever you're going to do, this is Luke 19, 1 to 10. And would you stand with me as we read this together? From verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He was the chief tax collector. He was enemy number one. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was so short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Amen. You can grab a seat. Zacchaeus was defined by his activity as a tax collector. He was also defined by his betrayal of his people. Hey, I, I won't go massively into this because I'm the geek and not everybody else is, but the Roman authorities, what they did was, in order to ensure control over occupied territories, wasn't just to occupy with soldiers. They actually recruited people from the communities that they'd overtaken to give them jobs of authority to show not that they'd just overcome the territory geographically, but they'd also overcome the people and the people now worked for them. So Judah, um, not Judah, sorry, um, Zacchaeus was number one tax collector. He was number one betrayer and he was allowing the Roman rule of control to define his life instead of the Mosaic covenant and instead of the promises of God over his life. Friends, our culture will try and determine to you your identity. Oh, here we go. 
I'm going to say something controversial. The church, the definition of the word church, Jesus uses the term ecclesia. It means this, set apart governing a structure. We are not defined or dictated to by the world's rules and laws. We respect them. We honour them. But when they come into conflict with the rule of the kingdom, we always choose the rule of the kingdom. Amen? And so what happens is, is that our identity, or Zacchaeus' identity in this moment, was redefined from being oppressed by a government to being released by the kingdom. He allowed the narration of Jesus Christ in his life to define his next steps. And what happened? First of all, I want you to notice something. The people said, why has Jesus gone to be the house of a sinner? What did Zacchaeus do? He stood up. Why is that important? He was a short man. But even short men can stand in authority when they're given a new identity and a new destiny. Your physical stature is not the definition of your strength. You stand in the identity of who Jesus Christ calls you to be, and that's your strength. And he stands up in the face of the criticism that he's a sinner and defined by his sin. And he says, I will give four times the amount that I stole. Why? Because when you're saved from the miry clay, by the way, friends, he lifted us all from the miry clay. When you're saved from that point by this man, Jesus Christ, the, re the right response is not just to give back what you stole. The right response is generosity of spirit because how many of you guys know the generosity of Jesus' spirit undermined the sin in Zacchaeus' life, undermined his social standing, undermined his betrayal and set him high to stand in the kingdom narrative for his life. The only response to that is a generous overflow. For Zacchaeus, it meant money. For us, it can mean all sorts of things. When Jess and I had a chat about having our third child, rock and roll, due from today, really, in the next three weeks, we, we decided that actually one of the things that we wanted to do is we wanted to not give our children to a nursery provider to look after them in the day. We wanted Jess to do it. This is our journey. There's no criticism of that decision. That's not the point of the story. So we ended up taking a 50% pay cut in order that she could spend time with our family And we worked out the finances to mean we could just about make it in terms of our lifestyle. Can I tell you something? In the year that we made that decision, we've never been more financially blessed ever. We've never been more, um, we have never had people give us more money than this year. And not only that, we found out completely by luck, fluke by Jesus, sorry, we don't believe in luck or fluke, Jesus, destiny, amen. Forgive me, Jesus. Um, <laughs> luck is a narrative we do not believe in. What was I saying? Oh, yeah. And we found out that actually, Jess, because of her self-employment from the time before she gave up work, is actually entitled to maternity pay, which means that we are better off now than if she was working with a new baby coming on maternity leave. Now, listen... When you put your money where your mouth is, the Lord will always come through for you. Always. It might not be how you think, but He will. It might not be when you want it to be, but He will. Let your 2024 
be defined by the narrative of abundance of heaven, not the lack of what your bank account says. Listen to me. I'm not saying having nothing in the bank is no problem. We need to support our friends and brothers and sisters in need, but it cannot be your defining moment of thought in your life. When you have nothing, he still has everything. You focus here so that this is not that it doesn't matter. It means it doesn't identify you. It doesn't dictate to you your identity. This does. We are not minimizing the impact of financial struggle but we are maximising the belief that we're not defined by financial struggle, we're defined by financial abundance. And we get to walk a journey of what that looks like day by day. What is 2024 being defined by in your life? When Zacchaeus stands up and gives away what he'd stolen, Three things happen. He breaks agreement with his old job. By the way, just so you guys know, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but there is no way Zacchaeus is still a tax collector after this. Absolutely no way. He doesn't go back to normal. He's just given away half the taxes. The Romans aren't going to be pumped about that. He changes his job. He changes his generosity. And the third thing is this, is that he stands up and is defined by the kingdom call on his life, not by any other call of man, not by any other definition of man. Listen, many of us, like me, have had words spoken over us. My one, in my example, was that I'm the kid that asks dumb questions. But many of us have had these things spoken over our lives. Friends, it's time for those things to die in order that the resurrection power of God's word, the real bread of life, begins to determine your future and determine your destiny and determine your identity. Identity 2024 is a year of new beginning. And as we walk, understanding what it looks like for us to say yes to Jesus Christ as the narrator, two things have to happen. Number one, get out your tree. I don't know what tree you're in. I don't know how tangly it is. I don't know how hard it was to get up there. But come down, Jesus is at the foot of your tree. The second thing is this. When Jesus invites himself around for dinner, say yes. The Bible says he knocks at the door of every heart. It's your choice whether you let him in. Hey friends, I've got to tell you something. Many people come to me and say, how can a good God send people to hell? He doesn't. He literally said, over my son's dead body will anyone go to hell, but you can still choose to walk over Jesus Christ. Hell is a choice, always has been. When Jesus comes knocking on the door of your heart, you have a choice to say yes or say no. You have a choice for him to narrate your story we have a choice to say, no, I don't want that narration in my story. And when you, but when you say yes to him, when you say yes to Jesus Christ and you lay down all the things that you feel entitled to and pick up his story in your life, watch, fear, anxiety, depression, flee from your life. Watch them. 
because you're no longer defined by the human fragility. You're defined by kingdom power. I'm done. Will you stand?